Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. So in early July, I read a wonderful essay in the New York Times by Dr. Adam Grant, an organizational psychologist at Wharton. The essay is about collective effervescence. I love terms like that. so descriptive and and really beautiful. Collective is the energy and harmony we feel when we come together in a group around a shared purpose. So so what um, Grant wrote in the essay is that we find our greatest bliss in moments of collective effervescence. And he refers to a concert that he was a part of where Madison Square Garden reopened post-pandemic with uh, the Foo Fighters and 15,000 people in attendance. And he talked about how that the Foo Fighters called David uh, or Dave Chappelle, I hope I say his name correctly, on stage, the comedian, did I say that right? Called him on stage to uh, sing the Radiohead song, Creep. I don't know a whole lot about any of what I just said, I'm just reading. But what I do understand is he said that when that happened, the audience erupted in the closest thing he had seen to rapture in a solid year and a half. Now, let me read a little bit from his essay. He said, emotions are, he said, no one cared that Mr. Chappelle was off key. One day, they'll tell their grandchildren about that night when New York City came back to life and their favorite band performed another band's song and they tried to carry a tune with a legendary comic doing lead vocals. Emotions are inherently social. They're woven through our interactions. Research has found that people laugh five times as often when they're with others as with, as with their alone. We find our greatest bliss in moments of collective effervescence. Before COVID, research showed that more than three quarters of people found collective effervescence at least once a week and almost a third experienced it once a day. But as lockdowns and social distancing became the norm, there were fewer and fewer of these moments. Instead, many of us found ourselves drawn into a dark cloud. When the pandemic, I'm jumping through the essay, uh, when the pandemic began in 2020, the number of adults with symptoms of depression or anxiety spiked from one in 10 Americans to about four in 10. When it first became clear, he writes later, that people would be encouraged to stay at home and avoid large crowds, a joke circulated in which introverts declared, I've been preparing for this moment my entire life. But the data tell a different story. During the pandemic, it's generally been introverts, not extroverts, who have reported more depression, anxiety, stress, and loneliness. Extroverts may seek more connection, but introverts need it as well. They are also energized by social interaction. In isolation, many introverts may have been surprised to feel forlorn. They were missing collective effervescence too. A little bit more. 
As some countries start to reopen, collective effervescence will happen naturally, and it already is. There will be fewer zombies roaming the internet in their pajama bottoms, reaching out listlessly through their computer screens. Some of us have already started feel, feeling the thrill of creative collisions at work and the rush of a real vacation, but getting out of the house doesn't guarantee that we'll pursue happiness the best way. Psychologists find that in cultures where people pursue happiness individually, they may actually become lonelier. But in cultures where they pursue happiness socially, through connecting, caring, and contributing, people appear to be more likely to gain well-being. The return to normalcy in the United States or something like it is a time to rethink our understanding of mental health and well-being. We should think less of flourishing we should think of flourishing less as personal euphoria and more as collective effervescence. You can feel depressed and anxious alone, but it's rare to laugh alone or love alone. Joy shared is joy sustained. Now, I normally wouldn't read something at that much length, but I thought it was so well said that I risked uh, losing your attention for a moment. This essay tells us something that's really obvious, but, but though it's something that we already know, it seems to me that we need to be reminded of it. We were made to need people and therefore should want to come together with people around a shared purpose. See, can I have a little more monitor, please? Human beings exist. Can I have a little more monitor, please? Thank you. Human beings exist because God wanted people to join him in community and collaborate with him in his work. So God created people in his image and he tasked them to partner with him in carrying out his mission. God didn't need people like we do because he is completely happy and sufficient in himself. He created human beings because he wanted to do what was in his heart to do in the company of people. The key word is want. That's what God wanted. He invited people into the community of his three-in-one self because he wanted to expand the team. He wanted people to join him in his work. He found pleasure in people and still does, even with all the pain people have brought him. He decided to do his life with people. That's what he wanted. Now, he didn't need us. Again, I stress that, but he wanted us. I, for some reason, when I think about this, and I've used this illustration at some point in the past, I, I, I'm reminded of my uh, little boy, Caleb, not a little boy anymore, a big, strong, grown man now. But when he was two or three years old, he wanted desperately to to join me as I cut the grass. So we bought him a little play lawnmower. Uh, uh, here's a, like two minutes of a old family video to demonstrate what happened when that happened. Show mommy how you, how you do it. Show her. No. Okay, tell her what this is. Mama. Your mama? Yeah. Tell her who that little girl is right there. Who's that? Yeah. What? Tell mommy who it is. What's her name? Daddy's Momo. He doesn't understand what you're saying. I got it a Momo. Oh, it's Daddy's Momo? Okay. My Momo. Your Momo, yeah. Okay. You ready? Waiting all winter. Watch, watch out. Son. 
No, no, Terry, if she would ride that off of that. Okay, buddy. This is safe. Be careful this is very safe. probably took too long to make it. I didn't need him to help me with his Momo, but I wanted him. And the fact is, I think that that's kind of how it is with God when he created human beings. He didn't need us, but he, he wanted us. He invites us to join us in his work. Now, by comparison to God, we're like two-year-olds pushing a fake lawnmower and helping God do his work. But the fact is, God still wants us. And he does actually give us meaningful assignments. He made it so that we really can help him. He chose you to mentor that, that, that child at the YMCA and their homeless shelter. He chose you to coach that little league team. He chose you to lead a life team that moves the mission of his church forward. He chose you to represent him as chairman of the board. He chose you to run for office so that you can use the power that you accrue for moral, in, in moral ways and for moral ends. And, and I, I just love this idea that God doesn't need us, but he wants us and he invites us to join his work. And I think that we each need to learn about that as it concerns our relationships with each other. But there's a, a caveat, if you please, and that is though God didn't need us but wanted us, he made us to need each other, and a consequence of that should be we should want each other. God determined that human beings could only do what they're made to do in relationship, meaningful relationship, with other people. So, you know, at the very beginning, God said it is not good for the man to be alone. Um, Paul said to the Romans that none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. He also said to the Romans as it concerned the way that they were in relationship with one another in th that local church, he said, so in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. You know, I love, and I'll do quite a bit of this this morning, to see how the sciences in their variety of disciplines support the truth of God's word, which has been true forever and doesn't need science to verify it, but nonetheless, it just constantly does. For, for instance, the social sciences and a lot of work that's been done in recent years about our, our interdependence and how much better we are when we're in proper relationship with other people. For instance, Sean Acor 
the highly regarded expert on happiness and potential uh, who has done a lot of landmark work at Harvard uh, said this in a recent book called Big Potential. He said, as the research begins to emerge, we seem to be learning that almost every attribute of your potential, from intelligence to creativity to leadership to personality and engagement, is interconnected with others. Thus, to truly thrive physically, emotionally, and spiritually, we need to change our pursuit of potential. We need to stop trying to be faster alone and start working to become stronger together. No wonder we feel collective effervescence when we join together in a common purpose, especially as followers of Jesus. When we worship together, when we fellowship together, when we work together, we feel an inexplicable joy. We feel this joy because we were made to be together and to do life together in the presence of God and with one another. So we should know how much we need each other. We were made to need each other, but then we should add to that in order to be more like God to say, okay, then I want to do life with others. It's not just need now. I now want to do life with others. We should not grudgingly acknowledge our need for each other, but should assertively express our want and act on that want to intentionalize our awareness of the importance of relationships for us to be everything God made us to be. We have to be intentional about engaging with others around the common purpose we find in Jesus. Again, I'm repeating myself, but even if we could do it alone, we choose not to. So, furthermore, isolation is damaging to the human spirit. Isolation is damaging to the human spirit. So said Sebastian Younger. Daniel Goleman in his, in his, you know, Daniel Goleman was the breakthrough thinker on the subject of emotional intelligence, as most of you know, but he followed that work with a, a book on social intelligence, and the book is actually called Social Intelligence, and in it he said, we are wired to connect. Neuroscience has discovered that our brain's very design makes it sociable, inexorably drawn into an intimate brain-to-brain link-up whenever we engage with other people. Our relationships mold not just our experience, but our biology. The brain-to-brain link allows our strongest relationships to shape us on matters as benign as whether we laugh at the same jokes or as profound as which genes are or are not activated in T-cells, the immune system's foot soldiers in the constant battle against invading bacteria and viruses. John Ortberg wrote that researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong rational, uh, uh, relational connections. I'll repeat that. Researchers found that the more isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol use, but strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but who were isolated. And it's well known, often repeated, that Harvard researcher Robert Putnam noted that if you belong to no groups but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. 
If you belong to no groups, but decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. Now, we've all seen the negative consequences of imposed isolation throughout the COVID pandemic. My hope is that as the CDC and the government issue new mask mandates and other restrictions that impede our ability to fully be with and fully experience other people, that there aren't just epidemiologists and medical doctors at the table, but also psychologists and sociologists and spiritual leaders like pastors and rabbis. Our ability to be together, especially people of faith, our social connection and and social connection around common purpose impacts every area of our life, including the health of our souls and bodies. I'm not an expert on the coronavirus or the Delta variant or the American Airlines variant, but think about that for a minute. I am somewhat of an expert on the soul and our need to be together. And I hope that we're able to balance the highly unlikely struck by lightning possibility of a vaccinated person becoming seriously ill with COVID against the long-term sickening effects on the soul and body of not being able to fully engage with people, to be close to one another, to smile, to, to be affected by a smile, to sing together, to laugh together, to serve together, to shake somebody's hand and when appropriate, to share a hug. Now, I don't know how to balance these risks, and it's not really what I want to talk about today, but it's when you're talking about social connection in today's world, it, you, you kind of have to take into account some of the reality and the context in which we live. I don't claim to know how to balance these risks, and I don't envy the people who are tasked to issue guidance on things like whether to remask or not to mask and so on. In fact, I think we need to be praying for those folks that God will help them and give them wisdom and give them strength. I'm sure they're doing the very best they can in a very difficult situation. I have no criticism whatsoever, nor an opinion to offer. I just hope that we're not just thinking about physiology and biology, but also psychology and sociology and soulology, which is a word I made up, and particularly how in, in all of that, it's important for us to, to, to risk being together, to experience collective effervescence, because we know how much we need each other and want each other. The fact is, one of the healthiest things we can do is to be together with other people around a common purpose. It's one of the best things that we can do. And, and, and this is something that it's important, I think, that we continue to stress and not lose a sense of the importance of being together. Let me say this. Let me say this, even uh, and especially as it concerns our new online campus, which we soft launched a few weeks ago, one of the things that we're doing differently than any other model of online campus that we're studying is we are taking to account this the, the need that God created in human beings to be together, the, 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 the emphasis in the New Testament on fellowship and community and so on. And we're trying with all of our 
our effort to embed that principle even in an online campus reality. And so we've worked hard uh, to create TLCC houses where we're encouraging those of you who are, who, who are going to make the online campus your primary campus not to just go it alone and to passively watch on a Sunday morning, but to connect with other people where possible physically and where not possible virtually because we think that the relationships that you form with other people in that online campus are absolutely key to you living the life God dreamed for you. So we're promoting TLCC houses and we're promoting life groups on, in an online reality and we're promoting life teams in an online reality because we know how important it is for people to do this thing together. It's how God made us. It's how God made the church. It's incredibly important and whether in person here at the West Orange campus or online wherever you are, we want to do everything we can to help facilitate coming together in community around a common purpose. So now, this is important, uh, not just then to understand the, the joy that we feel we're together, but also to understand that God made us to grow together as well that we grow in our lives with God and as people and everything God made us to be, we grow better together. Let me dig into a passage of scripture here for, for a few minutes. So if I could just say, could I, if I could just have a little bit more monitor, I'm having a little trouble hearing myself and I'm projecting my voice more than might be pleasant for folks. So thank you so much for that. So two weeks ago, I taught about the importance and potential of spiritual growth. I taught at length about how spiritual growth for a Christian means to become more like Christ. To grow is to become more like Jesus. And I taught about how we can grow to become more like Jesus. I read part of the passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which says that we can become mature. And I'm quoting from the passage. We can become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I love that. I love that expression, and I, I love the possibility it con con conveys. We can grow, Paul taught to the Ephesians, and we can attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. But when you look at that passage in its larger context, it becomes very clear that our capacity to grow into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ is in direct relationship to who we are to one another. So here's, uh, I'll pull out just a little bit and show you how this reads in the text. And then I'm going to pull out farther in just a moment. Ephesians 4.11 says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. That's commonly called the five-fold ministry or the four-fold ministry, or I like to call these, these as uh, I, I like to call these equipping gifts. These are gifts God gave to the church to equip God's people for service in his body. Pro, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, pastors, and teachers. And I think I missed somebody in there. 
No, I think I didn't. So the, the purpose, it goes on to say, is to equip his people. This is a primary responsibility of a pastor, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Let me remind you of something most of you know, and that is that oftentimes the church and our relationships to one another are described in terms of a body in the New Testament. The body of Christ is both a universal reality, it's God's people everywhere, and there are times when in New Testament writers refer to that universal reality, but then uh, uh, there are other times when a local church is referred to as the body of Christ. Because actually it's in a local church where someone is able to really practice what it means to be a member of the body. So the, the local church is, de is described as a body and the individual members are described as body parts. And the fact is, in order for a body part to do what it was made to do, it has to be joined to the rest of the body, right? So, so together, we are in this local church, the flesh and blood of Jesus, together doing the work of Jesus. And the only way that works out is for everybody in the body to know what part of the body they were meant to be and to get connected to the rest of the body in the way where they can do what their body part was made to do. Okay, this is a, really a beautiful way that the, the, the local church is described. All right, so let's go back again. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and now notice, now this begins to speak of a corporate reality. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and now we get to the phrase I mentioned a moment ago, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow. A lot of times people are thinking about spiritual growth more like, I will grow which is fine, except to understand that for you to grow, we have to grow. Because spiritual growth is something that happens together. The body grows together. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Can you see then how that this idea, this possibility of attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ is connected to our connection to each other. It is a we thing. It is a unified thing. It is something that we're doing together. All of us are growing up together as the body of Christ, as each part does its work to do the works of Jesus in this world. Now, so, so in, in, in Paul's writings, and in Ephesians in particular, Paul will typically begin by talking about an individual being reconciled to God through what Jesus did. And he does this in Ephesians in, in a beautiful way. But then he typically moves from that, which we would call soteriology. Soteriology has to do primarily with how an individual is experiences salvation, he 
typically then moves from soteriology to ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is about the church, it's about who we are together. In Ephesians, he does this. He begins by, by talking in exalted terms about how through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we are each reconciled to God. But then he moves into talking about how we weren't just reconciled to God, but we are also reconciled to each other. This is a major theme in the New Testament. And it's in Ephesians 2 that Paul uses the expression one new humanity, that Jesus has not just called us to, to, to God through what he did, but he's called us to each other through what he did so that together we make one new humanity. And then Paul will typically move into the ethical implications of that. How it is then that we need to conduct ourselves to, in order, with each other in order to live out the potential of this one new humanity or to actually become what God made the church to be, the body of Christ to be. So when you, when you get into Ephesians 4, this is where he's going. He's talking about now what Jesus has done to bring us together and how we need to conduct ourselves with each other so that we can live out our potentiality as individuals and as a corporate body. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Now, let's go out a little further and look at, at this. Now, now, what am I trying to get at? Let, let, me, let me go back. I'm, I know I'm throwing a lot out there. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say that the promise of becoming God-actualized the promise of attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ is not a promise you are given as an individual separate from the rest of us. That's the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that that happens when we're properly related to each other, when we're joined to each other in a meaningful way. Not only can we then experience something wonderful like collective effervescence, the joy that comes to that relationship, but now we also have the potential to grow. And one thing we know about this congregation is this congregation is full of people who are interested in growing. I'm gonna tell you that you need and therefore should want the people sitting around you in order for you to grow into who God made you to be. You cannot do it alone. And that should have implications then for how you think about your life, what you do and how you spend your time and who you spend it with. Okay? So, Ephesians 4 verse one. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And how do we do that? Now he's gonna talk about relating to each other properly. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, he's gonna mention the word one seven times now, but the, but, the, but the point he's making is the one body thing and he's gonna now support it with other analogies. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So. Let me talk for a minute about the big six of Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I just read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Here are the six things that are mentioned in terms of how we relate with each other so that we can be together and grow together into everything God says we can be. Okay? First of all, he says, 
be completely humble. Be completely humble. Humility is an attitude that recognizes the worth of others and allows us to serve others. Humility is the opposite of pride. Pride lurks behind all discord and disunity. A humble person empties themselves to become a part of something bigger and better than themselves. You're probably aware, and I've said a number of times, that the, the, the quality of humility was never celebrated in human history until Jesus showed up and made it a positive virtue. And he made it a positive virtue because Jesus showed us how to empty himself in order to accomplish something bigger and better for others. Philippians chapter two, verse one says, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. My point is, Paul's point is, that if we're gonna be in this relationship with one another where we all grow together and reach our full potential in Jesus, we're gonna to have to practice humility, which means we value the interest of others more than we value our own interest. See, there's actually a selfishness to that. Uh, John Piper calls it Christian hedonism. He actually says that we, we actually do things like humble ourselves out of our own self-interest because somehow we know I'm getting someplace I shouldn't go and I'm gonna run out of time if I do that. Somehow we know that if we humble ourselves, there's an exaltation coming. So somehow you still need to do the right thing with the right motive in order to get the right result without thinking about the right result, but just doing the right thing because it's the right thing anyway. If you're gonna be in proper community with each other in a local church, you have to humble yourself. Donald Miller in his wonderful book, Blue Like Jazz, Don Miller uh, talked about what it was like when he kind of got out of an isolated Christianity and started, hear me guys, intentionalizing community. Intentionalizing it. Making it a priority in his life. He said, living in community made me realize one of my faults. I was addicted to myself. All I thought about was myself. The only thing I really cared about was myself. I had very little concept of love, altruism, or sacrifice. I discovered that my mind is like a radio that picks up only one station, the one that plays me, K-Don, all Don, all the time. Second, the second of the big six in Ephesians 1 through 6 is gentle. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Gentleness in scripture is strength tempered by moderation. It's authority asserted in a spirit of gentleness. The King James uses the word meekness, which sounds like weakness in today's culture, but meekness was a powerful quality. It, 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 it is a, a equanimity of, of spirit that is neither elated nor cast down. Uh, meekness is someone who has great power, but uses it with gentleness. Scripture says that Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. One could have argued he was the most powerful man in all the earth, but at the same time, he was the meekest man in all the earth. The third of the big six in, in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 is, he uses the word patient. He says, be patient. The etymology of this word has to do with having a big and wide soul. The commentator Klein Snodgrass, great name, writes that 
Patience is the exercise of largeness of soul that can endure annoyances and difficulties over a period of time. John Stott defines patience as long-suffering toward aggravating people. If you are gonna do life with other people like the people who are in this room with you people and me people, you're gonna have to learn how to practice patience which is a big soul that can put up with the annoyances that come from other people. But imagine how patient God has had to be with you. He doesn't even need you. You're with your little Momo. But God says, I love you so much and I'm gonna put up with your stupidity and forgive you and take you back and right right now here you are with people you need people you can't even be who you were made to be without people and if you're going to be with people you're going to have to learn how to put up with a lot of stuff right fourth bearing with one another in love another way to translate this is putting up with one another in love this is agape love here it's divine love it comes from god and it's manifest in our lives as a decision to love each other whether we feel love or not you're not always going to feel love in a marriage you're not always going to feel the romantic tinglings of early romance That's why love ultimately is a decision to love. And when you decide to love, those feelings come back in waves. But you have to hang in there even when you're not feeling it. And this is true in our relationships with each other as well. You may not always feel the warm and fuzzies about everybody else who's a part of this crazy place. But love isn't how you feel. Love is a decision you've made to be committed to relationships with other people because of the possibilities inherent in them and because you need them in order to be who God made you to be. Number five, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Listen, guys, if a local church is going to work, everybody in it has to be zealous for unity. Jesus tore down the walls that divide us and made us one new humanity and brought us peace. We have to remember that to bring division to the body of Christ is to oppose who Jesus is and what Jesus did. In fact, the Apostle Paul was so strong on this. See, IBM, an office at IBM can work with people having water cooler talk. I don't even know if they're still water coolers or if they're even back in the office. But anyway, it can work. It won't work optimally, but it can work. But in a local church, a local church runs on unity. A local church can have, that's why there's so much about this in the New Testament, about gossip and about backbiting and about, and thank God, though we're a church of imperfect human beings and an imperfect church, for the last 30 years, this has been a place of marvelous soul healing unity, and I'm grateful for that. The Apostle Paul... The Apostle Paul was so strong in this subject that in one place he says, mark those who cause division among you and stay away from them. You can go out to eat with a blatant sinner, but don't eat with a brother who's causing division in the local church. That's not my concept, that's the Apostle Paul's concept. That's how important this 
was. Did you hear that? This is a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? You can go out to eat with a blatant sinner. In fact, you're encouraged to, but you're not supposed to hang out with people who bring division to the church because when you do that, you're bringing division to the body of Christ. And do you know, by the way, while I'm on the subject, what division is? It's more than one vision. Think about that too. And then the sixth thing is the word one. Seven times Paul uses the word one, and it's all about this. There is one body. And he talks about how this is based on the oneness of God. All right, now let me pick up again from Ephesians chapter 4 this potential of growing into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I'll pick up where I left off. I just read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Now let me pick up Ephesians 4, 7. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. My point is we can only do that together. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. If you would, please, I don't mean to patronize you, but repeat that after me if you would, please. Please say, we will grow. grow. That's the emphasis. To be a part of the church, to be able to grow. It's, I will grow because we will grow. We will grow because I will grow. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, guys, this is how we were wired. David Brooks in his landmark uh, book, Social Animal wrote, we become who we are in conjunction with other people becoming who they are. And the fact is that when you analyze social networks, it turns out that almost everything about relationships with other people is contagious. This is what, this is what Brooks writes. He says, researchers have done a lot of work over the past few years analyzing social networks. It turns out almost everything is contagious. If your friends are obese, you're more likely to be obese. If your friends are happy, you're more likely to be happy. If your friends smoke, you smoke. If they feel lonely, you feel lonely. In fact, a person's friends have more influence on whether he or she will be obese than a person's spouse, which proves that Sharon's thinness has not become contagious for me. Get this, guys. This is hugely important. Spiritual growth is contagious. If you are doing life with people who are intentionalizing, growing spiritually, you will grow spiritually. It causes me then to come back with what I was supposed to teach about today and haven't yet got to and will now officially enter into today's topic as I've gone over time already. The pathway is what I'm supposed to be talking about today. Over the last few weeks, you know, during this trimester, we're talking about discipleship, talking about what it means to follow Jesus. 
And we talked about that in theory in the first series, and then the second series we said, here's what we're trying to do as best we can to help people be on a pathway to live the life God dreams for them. And, and to us, the word discipleship and living the life God dreams for us, those are, that's the same concept. And so uh, two weeks ago, I talked about this whole GPS thing, and I talked about growing. The first thing is to grow, to grow in our lives with God, and I taught about that. And today, I'm, I'm teaching, though I haven't gotten to the practicality yet, about this part. It's, the, it's, the, it's, it's P is for participate. And we believe that one of the most important things that we can do for you is to encourage you with every bit of passion we have and in practical ways to make sure that you are intentionalizing being joined to other people in the body of Christ so that you can live the life God dreams for you. Imagine, guys, if spiritual growth is contagious, how it impacts your life to be a part of a church that's always pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing for spiritual growth. Think about how that impacts your life. The more you intentionalize getting plugged in, the more you intentionalize being joined with others, the more time you're spending with other people who are trying to grow. You will grow. You will grow as we grow. I'm not talking now about numbers. Just talking about attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so, you know, uh, by the way, something that marks this church years ago, should I go down another rabbit trail? Uh, No. Years ago, we hired a consultant. We've hired a number of consultants over the years, and they did as consultants do. The first hours was trying to figure out who our target audience is. This consultant saying, how would you describe you know, the, 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 the average person in the Life Christian Church? Well, how do you describe us? We're black and white and brown and green and, uh, I don't actually, I don't think there are any Martians, I'm kidding, but that was supposed to be funny if I offended, who knows? <laughs> Please don't cancel me for that if I miss something. Uh, so, so uh, how do you describe us? We're, we're you know, people on the early rungs of the economic ladder and people with, with great wealth and we're lots of PhDs and we're GADs. How do you describe us, right? Well, finally we came up with a term that has influenced our thinking for many years. It's better life seekers. If you were going to describe what identifies the core of the people who are part of this church is better life seekers. We are a church of people, and this has proven to be true in years, over the years, in every survey we've done, every consultant we've hired. We are a church of people who are not interested in a passive Christianity. We are a church of people who are interested in intentionalizing, going after the John 10:10 life, the more and better life than you ever dreamed of life. Now listen, when you are doing life with people like that, it's contagious. You should jump into that. I think I've made that point. And I'm sorry, you know, I, 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 I made my point, I sharpened it, and now I keep stabbing you with it. So uh, one, one more thing, and then, my, then I'm gonna close with next steps, okay? Sean Acor wrote, that perception 
of your objective physical world is transformed by including others in your pursuit of happiness. And he talked about this research, which finds that if you're looking at a hill and judging how steep it is, the mere presence of social support around you transforms your perception. In fact, if you look at a hill while standing next to someone you consider to be a friend, the hill looks 10 to 20% less steep than if you were facing the hill alone. As you think about the things you want to achieve in your life, as you think about the things, the challenges you face in your life, don't do it alone. And I say this even and especially today to all the beautiful people who are watching online. If you're a part of our online campus, I encourage you to take advantage of, of everything we're doing to try to connect you to other people, even in all the possibilities of an online reality. All right, here are my next steps. Finally, uh, three ways we intentionalize together through the pathway. Remember, P is for participate. The first thing that I'll mention, if we can see the pathway again, is the Welcome to the Life course. We have lots of people who are new to us here at TLCC over the last year or so. And when you see Welcome to the Life, the other way to think about that is this is how someone becomes a member of the Life Christian Church. We promote, we encourage membership here. We think there's something very important about this idea that, that every one of us was made to be a member of the body of Christ and that we are joined with each other. And we think that that is, should be something where people have the ability to make a conscious decision to say, I'm in. I'm in, and so our team can know that's the kind of relationship you wanna have with us and then it helps us take things in a number of ways to another level in terms of how we're trying to help you be, live the life God dreams for you. There are some churches, God bless them, lots of great churches doing things in a lot of ways. But I know some churches, they have no formal uh, membership. You show up and put some money in the plate, you're on the rolls, and that's that. We think people should make a decision at po some point as to whether or not they want to be considered a member. And so, if you, now I have a, if you want to hear a lengthy teaching about that, trust me, I have lengthy teachings on everything, and I have some on that and from a biblical perspective why we do that, but that's all I'm going to say today because I'm out of time, except to say that for anything I'm talking about today, you can, here, here's the process of, of when you go to Welcome to the Life, that doesn't mean you've made a decision to become a member. But at the end of the Welcome to the Life course, you have the ability to make a decision to become a member, okay? So Welcome to the Life is meant to be part of your discovery process, okay? It's something that can be done. It's, it, it's meant to be done for everyone fully online. You simply go to our website, tlcc.org, and if you go to the pathway, and you'll see there are a variety of ways to do that depending on what platform you're watching. If you go to the pathway, you can click on any, let's leave the pathway up please, you can click on any of these to get more details about how to do this. But what we do is we ask people to go through the Welcome to Life course, we talk about our mission, our vision, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We help you to get to know us better. At the end you have a decision if you'd like to sign a membership covenant online. 
And, um, and then a few times a year, we celebrate all of our new members in a Sunday service, and it's a beautiful thing and so incredibly meaningful, meaningful to us. I want to encourage some of you beautiful folks who've been coming around here for the last period of time to consider what it might mean for you and us to actually join this local body. We think commitment is a good thing. You know, by the way, people who are married, it's been proven by research, are happier than people who are living together outside of the marriage of covenant. You know, people who are in the commitment of marriage are healthier, recover from sickness quicker, live longer lives. You know that? Now, that's not what the, that you get. You wouldn't get that idea by watching television. But that's, in fact, what the research says. You know why? It's important at some point, and maybe I'm talking about more than membership in the church here to some couples. It's important at some point to make a commitment. We are not, the culture is commitment averse. We are not commitment averse here at the Life Christian Church. We are for commitment. Here's the second thing, life groups. So, or for our online folks, TLCC houses. And a life group is simply a, a small group where you get together preferably on a weekly basis with somewhere between four and 15 people and you intentionalize building relationships with people for the purpose of spiritual growth. And you, 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 you talk about life and you talk about what's going on with your kids and you talk whatever you want to talk about. And you also talk about this week's message. You say, that was too long again. God help our pastor or something like that. But then that would be gossipy. Back. No, actually that's true. So that would be fine, I guess. Uh, but, but you, you talk about the message and you apply it to your life. And from that, when, when, and, and this has been probably the single most important methodology for growing this church in the way it's grown over the last 30 years is we've had a very strong network of small groups, life groups. When you see the word life capitalized before the word groups or teams, it's an acronym for life in a family environment. We've created a sense of family even as we've grown larger. We always focus on getting smaller at the same time through life groups. And then finally, there are life teams. And this is a big one for today. I'm about to say the benediction to send you out to a life team expo. Life teams are life in a family environment teams, and this is where we acknowledge this, that God created you and then Jesus saved you to do certain works, certain things, and that he gave you gifts to be able to do it. And that those gifts are to be used in the context of the church, of the body of Christ. Now, they can be used in a lot of other ways, your vocation, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But they're specifically uh, called out in Scripture to be used in the context of the local church so that the body of Christ can be built up so it can do the works of Jesus. We have 70 life teams here, approximately, at TLCC, where people are serving together around some common passion and their giftings and it is amazing how people grow when they actually get involved, put some skin in the game, begin to use their gifts to serve. And everybody who's found serving here at the Life Christian Church on a life team as a wonderful experience for you, please say amen.
When you get involved and you start to use your gifts and you have that increases your sense of relationship with other people. And so online, you can click on the life teams thing and you can find out how you can engage either as a part of the online campus or someone watching online who's a part of the West Orange campus but watching online today. And for all the rest of you, when you walk out in the lobby today, there are booths. Uh, I think there are 11 tables representing 70 teams and you can ask questions and learn more about how you can get involved here at TLCC and that will help you experience a wonderful collective effervescence and to grow in your relationship with God and to help this church do what it's called to do. So if someone comes to me and say, what's the most important thing I can do for my spiritual growth? I'd say, make a commitment. I'd say, get in, in relationships with other people, or in a life group, get involved serving with other people, and this will launch you into growth. Would you please stand with me?